color. It's the theme of our Easter. And I want to say again, as Joe did, good morning. Happy Easter, everybody. We're so glad that you're joining us here this morning and want to say hello to many of you who will be watching online here and around the world. Anyone traveled to New York City before? Can you raise your hand? It's my favorite city to travel to in North America. I absolutely love it. You know, if you've never been there, the truth is you have been there because of the amount of media we consume. Uh, Seinfeld took us there for years, didn't he? Think about it. Every romantic film, ladies, you've got mail, sleepless in Seattle. Any others? Made in Manhattan. Good. Awesome. Good. By the way, if you're new, we laugh in this church. It's okay. You think about it, everything we do, we want comedies, uh, Seinfeld, 30 Rock, uh, SNL, uh, the shows as Canadians we watch, even though they're American, like Good Morning America, Kelly and whoever the new guy is, I'm lost. Anyway, you know. If you watch the Food Network too, it's the same thing, Bobby Flay, Mario Batali, and if they're not in New York, they always visit New York. We know more about New York as non-New Yorkers than most people do because of the, the media we consume. My wife and I love traveling there, and we love hanging out there. Let me tell you about one of our first experiences. We flew into Newark, into New Jersey, and we got in a cab, and we came across in that skyline, that amazing skyline burst forth in front of us, not so colorful, but beautiful. It was early May. We turned a street onto a boulevard, and suddenly, unexpectedly, there was color all around us. Lining the street down this massive boulevard were cherry trees. They were all in blossom. I never expected to see this in New York, and they burst forth in, in yellow and, and, and in white. And, and, and so here I am, and I, I'm out of the cad, taxi cab, and I'm looking out. My wife is looking the other way, and there's all this color, and suddenly, no word of a lie, wind gusts down, and they all, the petals started falling all around us. And I was like, oh, New York is welcoming us. They love us. It's just I'm in the movies, and, and my wife is looking this way. I'm about to break out between Sinatra and Alicia Keys, New York. I'm about to do this. And then I look up, and the taxi driver's like, really? <laughs> then I got scared because I was in New York, and I didn't sing, and I just sat there. <laughs> Color in an unexpected place. Later, Joe and I discovered this, my wife. We discovered uh, Central Park. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but out of the grim and the, and the intensity of New York, you sort of walk into this massive oasis, and it is color in an unexpected place. It was early May, like I said, and it was hot that year, and so we walked, and we joined thousands of other people around us, and, and it was beautiful. We actually laid down on the ground, and we looked up at the blue sky, and true story, we actually fell asleep and had a nap in Central Park. I thought about that this week, how stupid that was. Tourist. <laughs> Then I thought about something else. When is the last time Joe and I have ever fallen asleep and, you know, it's like, well, we must have been newly married. Uh, that's what newly married people do. No, no, it's that we didn't have kids. That's, that's what we got to do. We'd fall asleep in our parking lot or anywhere if we could these days. By the way, if you're not married yet, I just want to share something with you. I want to burst a bubble. No one sleeps in each other's arms all night long. That actually is in the movies. Uh, married people tell me it's true. Scope, other things going on, it just doesn't work. Sorry. You'll get therapy for that later. Anyway, so we're, we're, we're in this park, unexpected color, in the middle of much of black and white and dark brown. It was another trip, much more serious. Joe and I uh, were going to go visit a friend of ours, and we were excited to see her. She lived in the Upper West Side. Nine days before we were supposed to leave, 
something happened that all of us watched. Planes smashed themselves into towers. Nine days later, we were supposed to have a nine-day vacation. We, of course, were going to cancel. I mean, how in the world could you go there? And then Mayor Giuliani got on and said, calling all Canadians, would you come and, and make things normal again and spend money, help us out? And so Joe and I decided it probably was the safest place on earth to go, so we went. We got on that plane, it was empty, and we flew almost right over the site, that black hole in the ground. I was shocked, I was looking, I mean, I watched this nine days earlier live on CNN, and now I'm watching it. It was still burning. Black and gray were the colors of that day. We arrived, and we were met by the military. Interesting times. We went to see our friend because we were there to encourage her. She was a hardcore New Yorker who needed help, and so we were there just to be friends. And we did exactly what the mayor said. We went out to dinner. We went to Broadway. It seemed odd but right. I really wanted to show my wife the Statue of Liberty. And so we were on the Upper West Side, if you know it, and we got on the 1-9, and we started going down. But I forgot something. See, I forgot that the 1-9 went right under the World Trade Center. Fifteen blocks before we got there, only nine or ten days later, we were diverted, and I just felt something was off. Suddenly, I knew what it was. See, ten blocks underground, underneath New York City, we started feeling soot in our mouth. There was still smoke underneath, and we got off near Wall Street. One of the most bizarre things I've ever experienced in my life was walking out of that subway, holding my wife's hand, and coming up, and for blocks, I'm talking blocks and blocks, there was not a car, not a yellow taxi to be found on Wall Street. We didn't want to be in this place, but now we were. We just sort of walked around dazed. All that soot that we'd seen on television literally was there. We were walking through it. We turned a corner, and then it happened. We were at ground zero. I'll never forget a woman saying, have you seen my son? We looked around, and military, a military helicopter came above us. It cut the sky, scared us burning still, gray and black. And then it happened. Color in an unexpected place. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw this vibrant red and this vibrant blue, and it was the uniform of a Salvation Army officer. And there they were praying and giving up food to the recovery effort. And then I opened my eyes, and I looked around, and I saw that there were Christians all around me, helping, praying, being color in the darkest place on earth at that moment. See, that is an appropriate place to bing, begin Easter, whether you, you are a Christian, whether you've just become one, or you're not one yet. You see, that recovery effort, that state of chaos, is where the Easter story truly begins. And it's a place we do not expect to find color, but we do. We start Easter on Good Friday, not on Easter Sunday. Jesus is dead. No glory, no light, no color here. What would happen to his body? It says in John chapter 19 that two of Jesus' secret followers who actually were in the organization that murdered Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the one that Jesus had said, you must be born again, they came and they daringly asked Pilate for the body. And Pilate gave it to them. These great religious leaders, the PhDs of their day, the brilliant upon brilliant, come and they find Jesus' body. It would be difficult to get his body down. 
They would have to flex his arms in order to deal with something we all know called rigor mortis. The condition would have been strong since the temperature, the Bible says, dropped and also the physical exertion Jesus went through. After pulling down Jesus' arms from that V position, they would have done something profound. These scholars, men of faith, took the mutilated body of Jesus and they washed his body in oil. It's so interesting when you actually read what the scriptures declare. It says in John 19.39, Then Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, 75 to 100 pounds worth. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it, then the spices and the strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. 75 pounds of spice. 75 pounds they wrapped Jesus' body in. Anyone who tells you Jesus wasn't really dead and he was faking it, no, he was dead. You don't wrap a body with that much spice and think he's not. Not only that, it's interesting. It says they wrapped his body according to the Jewish burial custom. Why is that important for us today? Let me tell you. Lean in and listen closely. See, it was distinctive. The Egyptians embalmed their dead. We go to museums and see that all the time. The Romans and the Greeks usually cremated corpses. But the Jews did not do this. Rather, they would do something unique. As one wrote, they would wrap their bodies in linen called, everyone ready? Swaddling clothes or cloths. Christmas. And they would wrap them like this. And they would wrap them from their torso all the way down. But they would leave the face and the neck exposed. And then they built something like a turban on their head. And then a cloth would come down around the chin to make sure the jaw kept closed. See, this was different and significant. The face is not truly covered or wrapped, nor is the neck. And this is significant because it will help us understand the historical argument for the resurrection of Jesus. For you who are deeply questioning, this is one you need to listen most. It will also describe John and Peter's reaction. It says in John 19, 41, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let me translate this. Sabbath was coming, and as Jews, they could not work on the Sabbath, so they rushed Jesus to the closest tomb they could find, and they put him there. They put him in a limestone hill. What would be done is they'd leave the body in this. They'd wait for decomposition, for the body to decompose. They'd gather the bones and put them in a bone box later. That's Friday. Saturday passes. No one actually knows what these two men have fully done. And if you read all the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it says on Sunday, four women... And that's where we really begin our story this morning. If you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 20. If you've got an iPhone, an iPad, you can navigate there. If not, it's going to be on the screens. John chapter 20 says that four women came. Jesus' mom shows up. Another woman named Salmon. Another woman named Joanna. But John. John focuses on a woman named Mary Magdalene. If Mary Magdalene was standing at C4 Church today, she would tell you in some fashion, I am a woman of two different lives. 
Two and a half years earlier, she would tell you, I had no hope, no friends. I was an outcast. I never went a day where I did not feel evil. A darkness. The voices in my head were not just psychological. They were more than situational. They were evil, non-human. They were terrifying. See, she was demonized. Tradition tells us her life occupation was no better. Actually, many believe that Mary Magdalene had to live her life off the money of perverted men. She was the lady of a night. She was a lady of the night. She was a sex trade worker. But suddenly this happened. Everyone ready? Jesus showed up to the woman that, of course, a religious man would never go near. And he talked to her and he commanded the demonic to leave. And one through seven left her. But there was more than that. See, color starts exploding in her life. Jesus also forgave her of her sins and she was able to leave all of her darkness behind. Color had been found in her life through the presence and work of Jesus. She was the last place you'd ever expect to find vibrant, life-altering, joy-giving color. But see, Jesus, the light of the world, does that for people. She becomes a follower of Jesus, the Savior, this merciful leader, this grace-filled teacher who changed the very essence and, and, and her life. And she believed he, he, he had to be more than a teacher and more than Messiah. He had to be the Son of God. And so she confessed him, and then he got killed. Sunday morning, she's awake, no light yet, no color. The last word she hears in her mind, it is finished. A knock at the door. It's the other women, including Jesus' mom. They go now to pay last respects and to help the body. See, they don't fully know he's already been wrapped in spice. John 21, hear the word of God this morning. Early on the first day of the week, it was dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and when she arrived, she saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now hold on, everyone. That stone would have weighed between two and 4,000 pounds, and the other gospel accounts tell us that there were guards there. Now, let me help you with this. These are not mall cops, okay? These are like the special forces of their day, and they have been assigned so nothing goes wrong. And suddenly the, the stone has been moved, the guards are gone, not everything feels right anymore. Sometimes we dismiss this because we're moderns, but one pastor named Chuck Swindoll gave an illustration like this. He said, imagine you just buried your daughter last week, your husband, your friend. And you decide a few days later to go back and you want to pay respect, you want to put flowers in the tomb. And so you do that, but when you arrive, there is a hole. And beside the hole is the coffin you put your friend or relative in, and, and it is lying open beside the hole, and, and the body is gone. That's the intensity of what's happening on the Easter story. What would you do? What would you feel? You'd feel shock and anger. Why did this happen? Who did this? Where is the one I, I loved? Mary Magdalene says in verse 2, she came running to Simon Peter. And the other disciples, John, they, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where, where they, they've put him. So Peter and John started running to the tomb, and both were, were running, but the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Pause. We're going to hear the word, look and see or saw, multiple times in this account, and this, this matters. 
Because in Greek, believe it or not, there are six versions of the word saw. And you thought English was difficult. And as we begin to see this, he's going to use different versions of this to help us understand what's really going on. Verse 5. John bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he would not go in. See that word looked? It just means he saw them. Plain seeing, but he did not understand. He would not go in, but Peter shows up. And if you know the Bible at all, Peter would be like, thanks so much, move aside, and we go. Peter runs right into the tomb. And he says in verse 6 that he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. Saw is different here. Saw means to discern, to consider. And the word there is where we get our word theater from. This is what's going on. Peter is investigating the grand theater drama that's unfolding in front of him. He is investigating and looking. This mystery will be probed. Is this fake? Is this real? I am not just going to believe because someone told me. I am going to find out if this is true. If someone had taken the body, they would have taken everything. Or if they wanted to make mockery of Jesus' body, which was the concern, they would have probably unwrapped the linens, thrown them around. But notice the count. It says that when they walked in, the implication is, is the linen, the wrappings, are exactly where they should have been, still bound with all the spice, and that turban and the chin cloth are exactly where they are, and the perfect space where the body would have laid is gone, and between, it's still, something's going on here. Finally, it says in verse 8, John has the courage to get in, and he reaches the tomb, he went in first, he, he, he goes inside, and then it happens. He saw He believed. This saw is different. It means to understand. It means he got it. In our culture, we would say it clicked. Well, what did he believe? That Jesus was gone or his body was stolen or he became some vaporous spirit? No, 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 no. He believed in the resurrection. John was the first in the world to say he is risen. He is risen indeed. John saw and he believed. As one wrote, it's almost like the body disappeared and passed right through the clothes that were lying there. John Stott wrote, it's like the body was vaporized and became something wonderful, physical, and new. See, John gets this. Can't you hear him talking to Peter? Peter, Peter, don't you get it? Peter, listen to me. No one's done anything with the body. It's gone right through the grave clothes. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. He's physically alive. The only reason why the stone is gone and the guards is gone is so we can actually see that he's gone. Praise God. Let's go. Peter, last one home, has to wash each other's feet. It says in verse 9, they still didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John says yes. Peter says maybe. Mary stays. As light is breaking into John, color is growing more and more in mind and body and soul. This day is not done. There will be multiple stories, but Mary does not move. Mary Magdalene stood outside of the tomb weeping. It is the traditional death wail. John may have color, but nothing has changed for her. See, this is the same cry she did as Jesus was mutilated on Friday in front of her. And she's still crying out, this is not right. As she wept, 
She now bent over and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels sitting there in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? I mean, they're perplexed. They know truth. Angels, these warriors of God and these messengers who have come again to tell the world there is good news of great joy for all people because a Savior has not been born today, but he's been raised today. You can say amen at that moment, by the way. It's a good amen. You only have cause to rejoice, Mary. I love the imagery in this blackened tomb. They're sitting in white. Remember what we learned on Good Friday? Pure white light is all the colors mixed. There's color in an unexpected place. She says to them, not realizing that these are divine angels, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. It's like at that moment the angels are like, Mary, look at me. Turn around. Right there. Just look, just turn around. He's right behind you. At this She turned, verse 14, and saw Jesus was standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And and he, he asked her, woman, same question, why are you crying? And who is it you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, logical thought. Sir, uh, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Do you see the power in that? I, as a woman, will carry a dead man's body back to the tomb and I will become unclean. Mary only glances up, looks down. It's the moment. It's that moment because that voice, the voice that called her, the voice that set her free from living evil, the voice that said, I forgive you, the one that she had heard for three years, if you could blend color and sound, it would, it would be like the best sunrise or like the brightest rainbow painted across a post-stormy sky. She said, Who, where have you taken him? And he said, Mary. And she turned to him and said, teacher. John was the first to believe, but Mary was the first to see. Notice this this morning. Don't miss this. The first person that Jesus, who is God in flesh, the conqueror of death, the conqueror of sin, the one who has overcome the God of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that the whole world will eventually kneel their, their mind and their heart to, he appears to a woman, a second-class citizen in that society, not an apostle, not those who will become greater later, not the great in society, but a woman with a scarlet letter, a woman with a real history of darkness. See, this is why our movement is so dangerous to the world, because Jesus proclaimed in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will become the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand what poor in spirit means? It doesn't mean you don't have money. Poverty here is this, that those that know that they have poverty before God, that they need a Savior, poor in spirit, are those that willingly, loudly, deeply, honestly, without hiding, say before a holy God, I am a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, as the church used to cry. Christ alone, have mercy on me. Easter, hear this this morning, especially if you are seeking. Easter only has power for those that know that they are made to know God personally that we are estranged from him because of our sin, and that Jesus and only Jesus can forgive, restore, and make things new. And why does Jesus get to do this and no other philosopher or religious leader? Oh, because he raised himself through God through from the dead. 
That's why he gets to do this. She turns. She knows it's him. What's almost inferred here is she charges him. Can you imagine it? Like she bear hugs Jesus. She's, She's clinging to him with such excitement. And Jesus does something, not rudely, not unkindly. I'm sure he was smiling. He says, pause. Could you stop holding me for a second? That'd be hard to do if someone had come back from the dead that you loved, wouldn't it? He said, said, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. So go and tell, tell my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father, your Father, our God, and your God. He says, Mary... Our relationship has to change now. You've all relied on my physical presence for three years, but now, see, it's going to be by faith, not by what? Sight. He he does this. He says, Mary, stop, go and tell. It's like stop, drop, and roll for Christians, okay? He says, stop, go, and tell. So Mary Magdalene, she booked it. I mean, she started running. She was weeping. And she she burst into the other disciples and she says, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I saw him. I touched him. He, he, He told me to tell you guys. John says yes. Peter says maybe. But then there's the other guys. They don't believe. Black and gray, not vibrant color is their reality. They thought they were next. Never forget this. They thought they were going to get murdered too. They thought they were about to be crucified. So on that first Easter morning, there is no shouting, singing, celebration, hymn, or chorus. There is nothing. Now it's evening. Verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Uh, stood among them. The doors were locked. He walked through the wall, everyone, just if you're missing it. Now, I want you to catch this this morning. The guy they followed gave up their jobs for, the guy that taught like no other, the guy that cast out demons, the teacher with, with a word or looked who healed people, the one that hundreds and thousands of people had listened to, the one they laughed with and cried with, the one they confessed as Messiah, the one then they said is not the Messiah, the one that some of them blasphemed while he was dying on the cross, the one that had run, the one that had been tortured in the most inhumane, inhumane of ways, the one who was killed by the act of crucifixion, crucifixion, the one that they lost all hope in suddenly was standing there physically with them like the old days and before they can scream or speak or run or hide, adrenaline flowing, goosebumps rippling across the body. Jesus says what God and angels always say when heaven and earth meet and reality happens. Boys, peace be with you. Just breathe, everyone. It's going to be okay. We did talk about this for the last three years, right? There's more to this. Peace means shalom, wholeness. It's what Luke uses to talk about salvation. At this moment, now, it is like literally history is dividing. This is the center of history. And this is the crossroads of faith. Trepidation, panic, loss, colorlessness is now going to turn into hope and color and peace. What would mark them? The Bible doesn't lie. I love the Bible because it doesn't just make everything okay. It wades into our frailty, our honesty, our brokenness. In Luke 24, this is how the guys respond. Everyone ready? They don't believe. 
And Jesus says, well, why are you so troubled? Why, why do doubts raise in your mind? Why are you freaking out? Like three years, guys, we, we talked about this. He knows this, not because of their body language. He knows their heart. Jesus says, it's okay. It's fair and good you have questions. I love you guys so much. You saw me do some amazing and crazy things I'll give you in the last three years, but this definitely tops it, wouldn't you say? So he does it. Boys, look at my hands. Look at my feet. In John it says, look at my side. It's me. And if you're doubting, touch me and see a ghost. A phantom doesn't have flesh and blood. As you see, I have. And when he said this, he showed them the hands and feet. See, this is amazing. The only marks left on Jesus' body. All the other brutal riddling is gone. The only marks left are piercings here in his feet and his side. Why did God, through his son, choose to keep them? Because they are signs of victory. And in heaven, when we look upon Jesus and see those things, we will declare, you have overcome all things so at this moment they touch him it says in John's account he shows them the hands inside and the disciples are overjoyed when they saw the Lord and again Jesus said peace be with you as the father sent me I'm going to send you and with that he breathed on them and said receive the spirit of God we gather this Easter And declare that Jesus' physical resurrection settles, decides, and completes the story. There is nothing now fully to fear in our experience even in 2013 because the worst has happened. The pitch black night has not swallowed up the glory of God. The light of the world has broken the darkness. And on this weekend and that weekend of injustice, crime, violence, torture, where Satan seemed to win, where war seemed to overcome peace, where religion seemed to kill the only hope of relationship between creator and created. On that first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the dead and everything burst forth in color. But Easter divides us. See, Easter is glorious and scary depending on who you are. Let me take you back to New York City. One of my favorite places that I haven't talked about to visit is Rockefeller Center. Rockefeller Center is where so many of the shows we watch are produced. It's actually the great symbol uh, of money and sex and power. It actually symbolizes all the American dream or, or the world dream offers. Great coffee there, by the way, side note, if you're a coffee person, DeLuca coffee. But in front of it is the image we all need to see this morning. It's of the God Atlas. He's holding the world on his shoulders. And by the way, he's gray or brown, depending on how you look. He's monocolor. See, this is our condition as human beings, right here. See, I don't care if you're an atheist or agnostic or you're deeply religious. You end up in the same place without the Easter story. If you're an atheist, it's just you and you're left. If you're an agnostic, you're not sure. And if you're deeply religious, you're no different than those other two. Because religion at its heart teaches you better love God and you better prove yourself to God. And if you do good enough and kind enough and, and you're good enough in this world, when you die, he will measure things out. And if it worked out okay, you're in. The world and your problems rest on your shoulders. See, let me tell you, sex, money, and power, and what the world offers, that is still how you end up, a slave holding your own stuff. But right across the street, 
from Rockefeller Center, that, that great place where, that celebrates all that our culture offers, is St. Patrick's Cathedral. Right across the street. And when you walk through those doors, you move from gray to profound color. When you walk into those doors, you are suddenly consumed by light and you're consumed by color. Why? Because it is full of stained glass. And as even a little light comes in, it washes that whole church in color. And at the front of that church is an empty cross. See, this is what Easter is all about. Atlas or the church. You hold your stuff or someone else does. Easter is so deeply offensive to many of you because it exposes your belief of self-sufficiency. Easter proclaims that we cannot be self-sufficient and we need a Savior. The question is this Easter, what will you choose? Will you choose a Savior who comes and says, I've become sin for you, I love you, I will restore you. Like Mary Magdalene, I will set you free from your history. I will take the burden you should carry and I will put it on my shoulders. And when I rose from the dead, color takes place. Or will you continue to enslave yourself to you? Paul, one of the greatest religious thinkers of his time, who became a Christian, went through this. And later, after he met Jesus, he said these words, God made Jesus, who has no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Some of you, this morning, here and online, you are perplexed and deeply now wondering go back to that slide from before you are actually standing in the middle like of a Manhattan street and you are looking one way and the other and you're not sure which way to go will you go to color or no color let me say to you it's not a mistake you're here this morning let me say this to you even more significant. See, in five hours from now, you're going to be busy again on Facebook, on Twitter, watching TV shows, doing family. And yet, at this moment, you are deeply intrigued. Maybe this, this could be true. See, you are Peter. You are not convinced, but you're wondering. So let me say as a fellow journeyer to you, don't get distracted. Ask the real questions you need to ask. Because if Jesus physically really did rise from the dead, then everything he claimed is true. And if everything he claims is true, then there's eternal life and hope and forgiveness and color in our broken world. Can I recommend a resource? Go, go online today to Amazon.com. Write this down if you're one of these people. And just say, right now, say, you know what? I, I, I don't know. Get a book called The Case for Christ by a guy named Lee Strobel. Let me tell you why. Lee Strobel was a, a brilliant journalist in the States. And he was not a Christian. He was an agnostic. And he went out to struggle with and try even somewhat to disprove the historicity of the resurrection. And as his journey went through all the scholars and all the thinkers, in the end he ended up becoming a Christian because of the evidence. If you are a person who is deeply, historically, factually trying to know, then I will tell you, spend the $15.99 and see if you find eternal life. Maybe you're different here this morning. Maybe you're not Peter, but you've become Mary Magdalene at this moment. Or John. And as you've been listening to and seeing the art and the worship, and as this has been taking place, suddenly you go, I don't even understand this. I can't even quantify this. But I, 
I think Jesus is real. I believe he's risen from the dead, and I want to meet him. I, I want what, what he did for Mary Magdalene. I want him to change my life. I want to be changed and not just live with the Atlas experience. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something unbelievably un-Canadian. But there's nothing more powerful. Does anyone want to meet Jesus this morning for the first time? Because everyone sitting in this room who is a Christian will tell you, we're not here because we're good. We're here because of mercy. We're not here because we're religious, but because of a relationship. So I'm going to ask you, is anyone, I'm going to put my glasses on for this, big crowd, does anyone want to meet Jesus this morning? This is scary, but Mary Magdalene did it, so you can do it. Stand. Honestly, is there anyone? Because I want to lead you in a prayer where you cross the line and you say yes. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. No, I know it's tough. Is there, honest, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? You online, if you're in the go train, stand up on a plane, raise your hand. Okay, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, okay? You just pray, and we're all going to pray for you. Welcome. Good way to start your move, okay? Let's pray this, and you can pray along with them. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done against you and others and myself. Forgive me. I turn from my life of darkness. Thank you for dying on a cross for me, and I believe you're physically risen. Come into my life. Fill me. Make me like Mary Magdalene, whose darkness went away, and I got forgiveness. I trust you now in your death and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just guy a hand. Phenomenal. Lord bless you. Mm. Mm. Let me end this Easter proclaiming out of new life these words. We gather here today as Christians with the global church, as Pastor Joanna said, and those who are already in the presence of Jesus and without shame here at C4, we proclaim that Jesus was a real person rooted in history. We proclaim that Jesus did suffer, he did die, he rose from the dead, and there is freedom and repentance in his name, and there is joy given. I proclaim in this generation what has been proclaimed for 2,000 years. As Paul wrote, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as one of your pastors here this morning, I want to say these things over you and then give you a charge and then we'll respond. I want to declare to you this day that Jesus is our relentless lover, as one wrote, who never stops giving away his love to us. We declare on this Easter that Jesus is our provocative teacher who shapes our thinking with grace and truth. I declare and speak over you this Easter that Jesus is our sacred friend that walks with us through life's joys and trials. I declare this Easter that Jesus is our compassionate healer who binds up our wounds and embraces our sorrows. We declare this Easter that Jesus is our authentic leader that guides us with integrity and confidence. 
We declare this Easter that Jesus is our truthful revealer who opens our minds to a clear picture of reality. And we declare that Jesus Christ is the supreme conqueror who will help us face our courage, with courage our future. Because he is Jesus and he is the Christ and he is the Son of God. And since he has physically risen from the dead, so we also who trust in him will also experience resurrection. Because Easter is not just about Jesus' resurrection, but ours also. This is our truth that we hold as Christians. And as Dan and the team comes to lead us, one challenge, one challenge on this very full Sunday. If you are a true follower of Jesus here this morning, I want to remind you, we cannot be like the first church living on the wrong side of the resurrection. Please hear me. We cannot be a church that lives behind closed doors, marked by fear and ineffectual living. The problems that we face as the church are massive. Our culture does not like Jesus much of the time or scripture. There's our sin. We've got family problems as our own church. We all have our own stuff. And the truth is, as we look at the globe and things get more violent and disconnected and connected, as religion becomes darker, as atheism rises and says we are all stupid, let me declare to you, that Jesus' work is powerful enough. And let me say to you, if you are in the place, or we as a church are in the place, we're saying, well, what can be done? What can move us from sitting in our little church talking about our problems and the trends that are not in our favor? It is the answer to the prayer we've been praying as a church for two years. And if you attend this church, you'll know what I mean. We are praying for revival, that the living Jesus Christ will show up among us, and he will say he is risen, and he will breathe his Holy Spirit on us, and we with courage can go out to a world that does not believe and say he is risen, He is risen indeed. There is good news. There is hope. And we have an answer that is not in us, but through us. I tell you, church, do not fear. Our Lord is in control. Pray that this is true for us. This is our truth. And so with everyone standing, let us pray this way. Jesus Christ, Son of God, rooted in history, revealer of who God the Father is, empowered by the Spirit, This Easter, we join with people in little house churches who are under threat of arrest. And we join with large cathedrals and mega churches and small churches. And we celebrate that there is color in unexpected places called our lives. And we celebrate that forgiveness is true. And we celebrate that it's not just empty faith, but it's rooted in truth, fact, and history. And Jesus, we pray as you taught us to pray, not only, not only that we're thankful, but we pray for your return to make all things right. I pray for myself as just a regular 37-year-old guy and all my friends here and online. And for we who are Christians, I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Give us faith and courage we have not had as a church. For others who are Peter among us, who are sitting in the middle of that street, meet them, Jesus. For my young brother who's just met you, guard his new faith. And for others who prayed it who didn't stand, guard their faith. Thank you that this is true. In the name of the Father, who before the beginning of time calls us. In the name of Jesus the Son, who died for our place and has risen from the dead. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, who allows us to know Jesus, walk like Jesus, and tell other people about Jesus. And we all said...
Amen. We're going to respond with communion uh, this morning. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it past. You can choose to sit or stand. That's fine. And here's how this is going to work. It's going to be past today. Uh, and so uh, communion, if you don't go to church, symbolizes Jesus' death and resurrection. Just before Jesus died, he took bread with his closest friends and he ripped it and said, my body's going to be broken like this. Then he took a cup of wine and said, my blood's going to be spilled. But this is a new agreement between us because there's new forgiveness, color that's coming. And so if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning in this church, listen closely. You really know Jesus, not just intellectually, not just culturally. You know him. Then you're welcome to take this because this is the symbol of the person you know. If you're struggling in your faith, you can take this. If you're doing well in your faith, you can take this. If you are a Christian, though, and you're on the run, and though you've met the living Jesus, your middle finger is stronger than your open heart, then either turn at this moment and come back and say sorry, or don't take this because you're not, you're in relationship, but you're on the run. And if you're not a Christian, just let this pass. We don't want to exclude you, but we, this is not something you embrace because you've not said yes to Jesus. But like I say it every time we say this, by the way, that is a great time to meet Jesus right on communion. So you can take it when you're ready. We're going to sing some songs of exciting remembrance that Jesus has risen. You can take some time to confess sin. And then we can celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And so the ushers are just going to pass this. Help them out. There's a lot of us today. So let me bless this and then we'll be done. Jesus, for your death and resurrection, we thank you. For the symbol of your resurrection, we thank you. That you've forgiven us, we thank you. And Lord, bless these elements now in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.